Isn't it true we've all heard someone say something or said something ourselves that we immediately regret? In fact, we wish that we could simply rewind, but we can't. So what do we do given the power of words before we say anything to make sure what we say is helpful? Stick around. Yeah, how many times has your mouth gotten you into a little bit of trouble? Um, I was thinking about this, and uh, one thing that we may all have in common, unless you have never gotten a speeding ticket in your life, is um, how little you say or if you say too much during that little interaction um, with the uh, friendly police officer writing you a hundred or a couple hundred dollar ticket, right? Um, tempers may flare a little bit. You might find yourself in a little bit of trouble um, more than you're expecting to be. I think the last time, and now Stephanie's in the room now, and I think, <laughs> I have to check my stories now. Um, now, I'm pretty sure the last time I got a ticket was um, on our way to our own wedding. Now, it wasn't the day of our wedding, um, but uh, to give you a little backstory, uh, at the time we lived out in Seattle, but the wedding was here back in Iowa, and so we were coming into town, I think on a Wednesday. Our flight, like, uh, we, we both worked worked that day, and then we caught a late flight, so we got into Des Moines, you know, maybe midnight or something. We got in a car, um, and we're on our way up to um, Fort Dodge, uh, where I, I'm from, and uh, on the way up, um, there uh, is a very little traffic. If you've ever been out Wednesday, uh, actually, yeah, I think it was Wednesday morning at like 1 or 2 a.m., there's not a lot of traffic, so uh, you, you may um, be encouraged to accelerate a little beyond uh, what is... Um, posted on the speed, speed limit sign. Um, and so we were driving along, and uh, we are probably, I don't know, about 20 miles from our, our final destination. And in the way back of my rearview mirror, I see these lights go on. So I think, oh no, you know, the, the police officer is going to drive by or whatever, because they're so far back. And they pull up behind me, and I'm obviously pulling off, and then they pull up behind me. I'm like, what in the world? Like, you were so far behind me. I was not going that fast, um, but you were so far behind me. What, what's going on here? And so he gets out of his car, and he comes up into the window, and, and I, you know, hey, officer, what's, what's going on? And, and he's like, did you know how fast you were going? And I said, well, you know, it's going above the speed limit, I believe. And, and he said, yes, you were. In fact, I turned on my lights multiple times to try to get you to slow down, but you did not respond. And so therefore, I felt like I needed to pull you over. And I'm sitting there like, what in the world? So in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, one, we've seen like two cars in the back roads of, of Iowa at, at 2 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. I'm pretty sure one of them was not yours. And had I seen lights in the rearview mirror, I would have slowed down or pulled over at the very least. And, and so I'm thinking all this, and then what comes out of my mouth is, you got to be kidding me, right? <clears throat> so I got a ticket, um, and, and, and Stephanie was like, you should have not just said anything, and I'm probably right. Uh, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to my wedding, it's the middle of whatever, it, you know, long day work, whatever. Um, and then he comes back, you know, and, and I love this part, um, is they come in and then they tell you, well, if you want to contest the ticket, you can come to Hamilton County Courthouse on such and such a day. And, and I'm like, I live in Seattle. And he says, well, good luck with that. And I'm like, see, this is what I'm talking about. Okay, but beside the point, all right, <laughs> one way or the other, um, it is just better sometimes to say less than to say too much. In fact, we, we um, introduced this concept a different way um, last week, um, or two weeks ago, excuse me, when, when we began this series, um, that we said that we have a tendency to speak too quickly, 
In fact, in most of our lives, um, we have, um, we, or we hope when it comes to what we say, we have two buttons. And that's not really the case. We, have, we, have, uh, we, we hope we have two options. One of the options is we can rewind, and one of the options is we can hit pause, all right? Now, there's a big difference between the two of these when it comes to the words that you say out of your mouth. And the difference, if you don't know, is you cannot rewind the words that come out of your mouth. You can try to apologize, but that is not the same as just erasing it from memory, right? The only thing that you can do, really, is to pause before you speak. And so, two weeks ago, I gave you homework, okay, and involved some actions that I would love for you to do with me, if, if you remember, or if not, follow along. It begins with closed fist, because when we're upset, when we're tensed, when we have something that we want to add, something that we want to say, when we want to be right, when we want to win the argument, we tend to, in our body language, get defensive and upset and begins like this. Oh, I want to talk. I want to say something. I want to win the conversation. And so instead of doing this, we're going to open our palms and be open to what the person has to say. In other words, we're going to be quick to listen, right? And then we're going to be slow to speak. We're going to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Even if it's under the dinner table, at, at dinner tonight, or in the boardroom, or wherever you are under the table, you're just, I'm opening myself up, and instead of speaking and being quick to speak, I'm going to be quick to listen, and I'm going to be slow to speak. That's what we said last week. And then what was really awesome is this week I got sent a picture um, from one of you um, of a keyboard at work. This is what is taped to their keyboard at work, and it says, if you can't see it, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And what I think is so great about this is you can all do this. You can all go to work tomorrow, and with a printer and some tape, you can do this, and your coworkers will probably love you for it, okay? And you can just tape that onto your keyboard and never forget. The other thing that I love about this is not just that you can do it, but the reason that is on here has nothing to do with this message series. In fact, this has been on their keyboard all year because they were in a community group that went through the book of James, and they learned this verse, and they thought it was so good, so they typed it up on their computer, put it there, and they just sent it to me. So, two things you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and join a group. Sounds good? Fantastic. But I thought that was really awesome, and I wanted to, um, to, to share that with you. So, uh, now, I want to go back to the uh, pause and rewind button for just a second, because if there is no rewind button when it comes to the words we say, we really should be more mindful of what we say. It makes sense. Nothing, nothing new. But the part that I think we forget sometimes, or in fact, I think we devalue, is the weight, the power of the words that we say. Because words have extraordinary power. Words have extraordinary, out of the ordinary power that most of us are not used to. Most of us don't think about it in these terms. In fact, some of us, we just straight up choose to ignore that fact of how much words or power our words have over the people around us. And so we need to be wise with our words. Think about it this way, okay? Words have shaped your life, and they have shaped my life. I mean, generally speaking, you may be a very confident person, but has there not been a time in your confident life where someone has spoken words over you or about you that brought into question your confidence in yourself, made you doubt 
yourself. In fact, maybe made you, made you just hurt in general because of the things that they said. Your marriage, your relationships, your dating life is where it is today because of the words that you say. In fact, many of the um, word, uh, marriage-impacting words that have been spoken in your life happened before you were even able to drive. That is just a psychological fact. We call it family systems. You can look it up and read books about it, but it is absolutely incredible how the words that were spoken about us, over us, and around us, especially in the marriages or, uh, the, or the relationships that we had as parental figures or guardian figures or adopted family figures, whomever that was, greatly informs the way in which we use our words in our own relationships and marriage. Think about another way. Words have extraordinary power. Um, because um, uh, people have done things because of words that people have told them, right? Somebody told me to do it, so therefore I did. The power of words can even motivate people to do things. They say it's against their will. We all have a choice, but the power of words is that um, life-changing. Think about it another way. As I was wondering or thinking about in my context as a a pastor, um, I can say, and this this makes me a little uncomfortable, maybe makes you a little comfortable, Um, I could say things from this stage right now that would end my career as a pastor. In fact, quite possibly could end this church in a matter of minutes just simply by the words that I say. Now, I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know pastors even knew such words, okay? But we do. We were human before we were pastors, just FYI, okay? Now, I think that's extraordinary. I think that makes me uncomfortable, to to say the least. But that is the point that we're going to get into today, is that we have to acknowledge, because if we don't acknowledge the power that words have, we will continue to get ourselves into trouble. Words are incredibly powerful things. Now, this power is complicated, and you know this, and I just want to go through a couple things about this extraordinary power. And the first one is that not all words are equal. Not all words are equal. You know this, because not, um, if, if I say some negative things about you, how many positive things do I have to say to make that negative thing right? Generally, a lot more, right? Because not all words are equal. If I asked you um, to, to share something or, or something that someone um, recently said about you that was negative, you would probably be able to come up with it a lot faster than if I said, hey, tell me something someone has said positive about you or something that you did. I know this because once in a while when we get together as a church or a group, I'll say, hey, tell me about the good things going on in your lives. And y'all just sit there like, I don't don't know if there's anything good going on in my life. But if I say the negative things, you're like right there. Oh, this happened, this happened, this happened this week. Why? Because negative words spoken about us or over us tend to weigh more than the positive ones. In fact, I take this uh, really seriously, um, and I've shared this before. I have a little um, uh, uh, shelf in uh, in my basement office that I put all the positive notes that have ever been written to to me or to the church about the church or uh, about um, Stephanie and my ministry, um, and and not because I take them out and read them. In fact, I, I never have read them, but just the simple fact that I know that there is a place where positive people have spoken into my life because my tendency and your tendency is to let the words that are spoken negatively about you outweigh the words that are positive. 
because words have extraordinary power. The other thing that I wanted to share about words is, and their complexity and power is the who behind the words matters. If someone gives you feedback and they are someone who you respect, you listen. But if you don't respect them, do you listen? No. The who behind the words that are spoken to you matter. Moms. Moms in the room, okay? Your words matter to your kids. And if you're a mother of a teenager, you're like, nah, I'm pretty sure they don't. But they do. Your kids are listening. They weigh a lot, especially positive words that you can speak about your children. And dads, I don't know why this is, but dad's words seem to weigh a whole lot more than anybody else's. And maybe it's just simply because there's often very few of them. I don't know. But dad's words seem to weigh a lot more in the lives of kids. Now, you can push back, but, but dads, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you that there is a time that if it has not yet come, where your kids will either be lifted up to a new place and grow in new ways because of the words that you speak into their lives, or they will be stopped short of their potential because of the words that you say as fathers. Uh, Steph was volunteering um, at a work event uh, a while ago, um, and uh, at her uh, work event, she works two jobs. She helps me for free, and then she works so that I can do this, which is really awesome. Um, and, uh, and at that event, um, she was, um, uh, I think, back in lunches or something like that, right? And, and the, she had a couple of moms with her, uh, moms who had kids who were a lot older um, than Elia is. And she just asked, hey, do you guys have any tips or ideas um, or things that you've learned over the years to help parent daughters? And all three of their responses was a question. And the question was, is the dad very involved? Why? Because it's not just with daughters. It, it's important with daughters, but it's not just daughters, because dads have a power and a weight to their words that others just don't. The who behind the words matters. And finally, words require recovery. Words require recovery. Because let's be honest, come on. Whoever came up with that saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a liar. Or they're in denial. Maybe both. I don't know. But it's just not true. Words hurt, right? I mean, if I pinch your fingers in the door of a car or the door right there, and it hurts, I can say sorry as many times as I want, but it doesn't change the fact that you're hurt and you're probably going to have to go to the ER. If I speak negative words about you and I hurt you with them, I can say sorry a hundred times, but it will not change the fact that you're hurt and you will need recovery from those words that were spoken about you. Why? Because words have extraordinary power. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, whom we left off with in part one, we're going to pick up today in his letter that he wrote um, to the church, okay? And uh, it was applicable then, 2,000 years ago, as I think it is applicable today when James wrote to a group of Christians about the power of words. And what I think is so ironic about James's words is he ha gives us, in his few chapters of his letter, 
tools and um, uh, guardrails that we can put in our lives when it comes to the things that we say, when it comes to me and my big mouth, that if we had applied them 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago, it would have eliminated regrets that you currently have, that I currently have. And what I think is ironic about this, almost humorful, is for most of us, those words are sitting at our coffee table just collecting dust. Or they're in a box somewhere just collecting dust. And in those words, I'm just telling you, if you read through it, uh, just the letter of James for that matter, it can change if you apply them, the things that James says, it will change your relationships and the lives of people around you simply because of what he says about the words. And so we're going to jump in to those things today because at least for today, we can prevent the future regrets, the future misspeaks that you may have so you never feel like you wish you had a rewind button. And it accounts for the extraordinary power of words. Now James begins... um, And he begins connecting our words to our body, to our physical selves, and to our lives, which is really important, and I'll get to that in just a second. Here's what he begins uh, in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, we all stumble. We all fall short. We've all tripped over ourselves. And anyone who is never at fault of what they say is perfect. Big claim. Is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. Now, that's kind of an unusual thing to say. In fact, it's really unusual, especially for us as Americans. Because in American culture, you may not have realized this before, because I didn't until I was on my drive here this morning. In American culture, we disconnect the physical from our words. We disconnect words from physical. And I'll give you an example of that. We put a lot of weight on free speech, right? It's a First Amendment right. It's a big deal to speak freely. But what's really interesting is I can say just about anything about somebody and never go to jail. But if I physically hurt someone, not verbally hurt them, if I physically hurt them, I go to jail. But I still hurted someone. Hurt someone, hurted someone. I still hurt someone. It's a word. Just made it up. Isn't that an interesting thing? The result is the same. Hurt, pain, suffering, relationships broken. But one gets me in jail and the other doesn't. But still caused hurt. Because in American culture, we separate the two. And James says, what James is saying here is, no, 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 no. You have to connect the two if you are going to be successful with keeping you and your big mouth in check. And he goes on to explain this, because he, um, um, if you want success with your words, you have to connect the two. Um, for, for example, um, if you want to uh, connect with someone relationally, you have to respect them, and you have to be kind to them. If you are kind to someone, if you are overly nice to someone, if you go out of your way to be patient and respectful of them, how often does it escalate to anything negatively? I mean, does, does every, anything, especially guys, come on. I mean, guys, if you are really kind to someone, even if someone's getting under your skin, and you say, hey, I understand where you're coming from, you know, uh, yeah, you're getting under my skin, but I'm just going to understand, I'm going to listen to what you're saying, I'm going to be quick to listen, slow to speak. How often does that escalate to anything more, especially anything physically? It doesn't. 
Why? Because your words precede what generally comes in our physical actions. If you're in, 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 a, in the dating world right now, um, if you speak words of respect and kindness to those whom you date or are in a relationship with, it sets the standard for your relationship. If you don't want things to get physical, start with your words. But if your words insinuate physicality, then that's where it's going to go. Your words set a bar of expectation to what will come and follow, especially from the physical standpoint. James gives us some examples in his context of exactly how this looks. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. How do you control a horse? By its mouth. This is, the perfect example that I can think of of this is in politics today, okay? What does a lobbyist want to buy from a politician? Yeah, they want to buy their words. We think, we tend to think it's their vote. No, it's not their vote. Because if you buy someone's words, generally speaking, they will follow it up with action. And you'll be better off because now you have someone who's going out and talking to other people and being a proponent of what you want them to say is advocating for you, is making you look better. What has been bought? Not their vote, but their words. It's all about the words. All about the words. James goes on. He says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, are driven by, and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Something that on a ship only makes up 5% of surface area or 5% of the mass of the entire structure, that little tiny rudder dictates the entire direction of the ship. In other words, a tiny rudder, this tiny rudder, can dictate your entire future and your life and your relationships. That's exactly what he goes on to say. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but makes great boasts. It's a small part that can make a great impact on your life. For instance, he says, and he gives us this example. He says, for instance, or consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. I mean, consider that for a second. I brought imagery to really get your minds around this. A small campfire, a small spark, One single strike of lightning can destroy thousands upon thousands and millions of acres of land. In fact, so big that the smoke reaches all the way, in some cases, from California. This this happened this summer, and last summer for that matter, from California all the way to the state of Iowa. One tiny thing. And it doesn't logically make sense. It doesn't logically make sense. But what, what James is trying to get across to us is that one man's words, for example, a hundred years ago or about, can lead to, can begin to start a world war. The second one, for that matter. What did it begin with? Words. The tongue, he says, is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It starts with words. The war didn't just start. Words came first. The fight didn't just start. What came first? 
Words. The divorce didn't just happen one day. Where did it begin? Words. And that mouth, James says, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. It's like, whoa, James, that's a big deal. Like, it corrupts the whole body? That just feels a little dramatic. And James is like, it's not. It's not dramatic at all. I mean, parents, did you put your child's mouth in timeout, or did you put your child in timeout? You put your child in timeout. You didn't divorce someone's mouth, you divorced the person right? You didn't fire someone's mouth. You fired the person. Words on fire can ruin your whole life, and you and I have both seen that happen. You have seen people who can't keep their mouths in check, whose lives have fallen apart. Sent on fire by hell, that's a dramatic statement, but what James is saying is we are all born with our pilot lights lit, boiling to say things that we most certainly will regret, regret. I mean, how do you feel uh, about someone who says one thing and does another? We have a phrase, right? Ah, oh, they say something, they say one thing and they do another. It's frustrating. What happens to them? Their credibility, their reliability, their trustworthiness, overall value of them as a person declines. By what? Simply their words. Because what you say, again, sets the expectations for what's to come in your actions. And when you fall short, you begin to lose credibility, reliability, trustworthiness. And it will, in some cases, set the course for your entire life. And then I love this next part. He says, come on, let's be real, Christians especially. Let's be real. Of all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, right? We have tamed extraordinary species, but no human being can tame the tongue. Has anyone ever been able to successfully tame your or someone else's tongue? No. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. And he's being dramatic not to just turn you off or make you defensive. He's being dramatic to understand the weight that goes along with it. You have never tamed your tongue, and neither have I. And so what are we going to do about it? He says, you've got to be aware that with the tongue, so often, especially now he's talking to, to, to the Christians in the room. Next slide. He said, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. It starts to get a little, a little more personal. Y'all come on Sunday mornings, you sing, you worship God, some of you hum, some of you whistle. Regardless, you praise your heavenly Father, and then you turn around this week, or last week, and you curse the human beings who are the image, the likeness of God, for whom God's Son died for. He goes on, he says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. Should we be free to to, are, are we free to say what we want to say? Yeah, we're free. You're absolutely free. But we should be wise with our words. We should never curse those for whom God has given everything. Instead, James says, 
we should do something completely different. And to give us that answer, he goes back to chapter 1, and we're going to go back to chapter 1. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is, what's this word? Worthless. Worthless. And he's so intentional with this. He's not saying sometimes valued, or it is declining in value. No, he is intentional. In the Greek, this word means to be empty of any value. That if you so choose to not keep a rein on your tongue and instead hurt the people around you, your religion will become worthless. And this is why some of you get frustrated with Christians. And honestly, this is why I get frustrated with professing Christians sometimes. It's because I sit there and I said, listen, you're deceiving others, and you're deceiving other Christians. And James says, and you know that that makes the religion for whom they profess to be a part of worthless, even if it's your own. See, you can't profess, James says, you can't profess Christianity and bully people. You can't profess Christianity and gossip behind their back. You can't profess Christianity and sow fear into people's lives. Sow fear into their lives. Why? Because Jesus said, do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. So if you're sowing fear, you're doing exactly what Jesus said not to do. In fact, you're taking people away from Jesus who says, I am with you. If you speak sarcastically to your spouse, uh, some, you know, like, oh, wow, yeah, you really helped with that one. You said it. You know you're bringing down the value of your spouse, the person for whom you said you would love till death do you part. And especially if you're doing it in front of your kids, it is devaluing what they view and see as the words spoken between two people who should be showing God's love. It undermines the love of God and makes worthless the religion that you profess not devalues it, makes it worthless, zero, of no value. And then he says this, and this I think is so great, if you, if you dozed off, you got to pay attention for this, or if you've switched to another tab on the browser that you're watching on, switch back for a second. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, colon, he's going to explain, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, he's saying this, God our Father's religion, God our Father's religion helps. It doesn't hurt. God our Father's religion helps people, especially when they're in distress. It does not hurt them. It does not hurt them. See, we are all extraordinarily powerful people. Why? Because we have words. We have words. And you can speak them. You can speak them into your friends. You can speak them into your families and your coworkers and your subordinates and your bosses. You can speak them into the lives of other Christians. And they can help and they can hurt. And James says, remember that God our Father's religion Religion helps. It does not hurt. 
So when you do that homework that I gave you two weeks ago to ask five questions before you say anything, in other words, I mean, you have to say something to ask, I understand, but you say five questions, right? And you listen, you're quick to listen and slow to speak. Before you speak after that, before you add what you want to say to it, before you say anything at all, ask yourself the question, are my words really going to help? Are my words really going to help? Really going to help? Are they really necessary? Because God's religion says help, not hurt. And this is not permission for white lies. Because I realize some of you could go home and justify um, not telling someone something because you know it could hurt them. Like, in other words, the truth And there is a time and a place for truth, and sometimes you have to kind of set the stage and and you work through truth. I get that with a whole lot of grace. But this is not an escape clause for not sharing the truth. Because it doesn't, at the end of the day, and you know that, it doesn't, at the end of the day, help. Your lies only hurt. Are my words really going to help? Are my words really going to help? And to help tease this out a a bit, I want you you to think about it this way. Are my words for them or are my words for me? And we do an incredible job at twisting this. Are my words for them or for me? Because if they're for me, you run the risk of starting a fire that can take down the whole forest. Are my words for them? Or for me, are they really benefiting me because I'm getting to talk, I'm getting heard, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm now better known, I'm empowered because I'm speaking? Or do they benefit them and allow them to speak and allow them to be lifted up and empowered? Are the lies you're speaking really for them or are they just protecting you? Really. What is it? really about? Does, does this, what you're saying, help you feel better or them move forward in their lives? Does it make you feel better or helps them move forward? And Christians, this is what I hope you would really process through. And if you're not a Christian, you don't have to do this. It's just for the Christians. Are my words for God or are they for me? That's a fantastic filter to run your words through. Uh, is what I'm about to say, does that glorify God? Does that direct people towards God? Or does it direct them away? Because I think that's what James was getting at with the whole religion is worthless thing, don't you? Because when you make it about me, when you make it about what benefits you, you tend to draw people to you and away from something. In a lot of cases, if you're religious, if you profess to be a Christian, it's away from God. Are my words for God? Are they honoring him in that meeting? Are my words honoring him? It doesn't even have to be a Christian setting. In that business transaction? Or is it honoring me? Now, your words, if you honor God, may not change the outcome of the situation. Okay? I think sometimes we think, oh, well, if we just give it to God, he'll make it okay. That's not how God works. God is a much better father than that. But he wants you to ask, is it about you or is it about him? Is it about them or is it about me? So here's your homework for this week. To be quick to listen and slow to speak. And when it is your turn to speak, you ask yourself the question, 
Are my words really going to help? Because if they don't, you not only run the risk of moving your life in a direction that you really don't want to go down, and you know will lead to a regret eventually in some way, in some shape, in some form. Or will it lead to lifting up those around you? Will it lead to building up the faith that you profess, drawing people to your Savior or away from? Are my words really going to help? And then come back next week as we wrap up this series with the last bit about the value of words. Let me pray for us. We'll sing one more song, and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I just pray um, that for all of us in this room, because most of us, we, we struggle. We honestly don't want to be convicted. There's a part of us that, that will justify our way out of being convicted of something, of changing something, of knowing, hey, we're in the wrong. And Lord, for this to work, for us to really be honest with ourselves and others, we have to be a little bit convicted of what really is going to help someone. So Lord, my prayer this morning is simply this, that each and every one of us would be open to that little voice in our hearts that are smarter than ourselves. That for some of us we know as the Holy Spirit who would convict us to not speak words that hurt, but to speak words that help. That before we say that thing to bring someone down, that we would ask ourselves, how can I help them instead? How could I lift them up? How could I be quick to listen, slow to speak, and when it is my turn, I help, not hurt. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom to actually do that this week, and to be here next week as we wrap up this very important series. In your name I pray. Amen. In just a minute, we're going to receive our offering and our connection cards, but before we do, I want to share with you an awesome uh, video that is about our kids' environments and our kids' volunteers and, and the difference that they are making in the lives of our kids and those kids' families. So check out what uh, um, Molly and Jay have to say about that. Uh, my name is Jay Horton. 